Welcome to Traveled, where we take a journey to a specific region so you discover what makes this part of the world so unique. Before we get rolling with our guest this week, I wanted to share the love with our traveled sponsor. This podcast is powered by Swing Outdoors, the Wet Fly Swing Podcast, and Yellowstone Teton Territory. Please head over to wetflyswing.com slash Teton to connect with the great brands that make up this amazing region of the country. Let's do it. Let's jump in and find out where that road less traveled is going to lead us today. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing good. 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 Thanks for uh, setting some time uh, aside here. Uh, it's been a little bit of work. I appreciate you for hanging in there to put this one together. Uh, you're in a neck of the woods that we've been to recently. There's a lot going on there. It's kind of a mecca, you know, the South Fork, the Snake, really just eastern Idaho. So we're going to talk about that today, talk about how people can maybe put together a good trip out there. But also you have the expo coming up. I think I want to hear about how that went this year and, and describe that. So before we get into all that today, let's take it back to your fishing, fly fishing. What is the first memory? How did you get into it? Oh, I grew up in a fishing family, although my dad tended to do more spin fishing and trolling fishing. Yeah. Probably my first memory of fly fishing is probably at High Mountain Lakes. My dad liked to go to the High Mountain Lakes, and so it was probably fly fishing High Mountain Lakes when I was six. Okay. <laughs> <Eight>. <laughs> That's it. So you got started yeah. early, and what were you guys doing? Was this kind of off the bank or in float tubes, or how were you doing it? Yeah, mostly off the bank. It's We were doing High Mountain Lakes you had to hike into, so at that time, carrying float tubes in was kind of prohibitive <laughs> oh gotcha yeah so and who was in the uh with your dad who was on the trip was this the whole family thing yeah we did whole family i have a sister and my mom and dad and then sometimes just my dad and me and then sometimes my dad and me and another friend and a son or something gotcha and where did you guys uh did you grow up in idaho yep i'm a born and raised local boy born here in Idaho falls idaho yeah so you're in idaho falls currently yes oh perfect Perfect. Yeah, we've been doing quite a bit because we've been uh, doing our traveled uh, series. So we've talked to a number of people from that area. I'm sure you know most of them um, that we've covered. But yeah, there's a lot of amazing waters in that area, not only lakes, but streams. What is your, what do you consider? Do you kind of have a home water that you consider one? Yeah, our, our home river is the South Fork of the Snake River. Yeah, South Fork of the Snake. And, and not, is the Henry's Fork, uh, I mean, obviously that's nearby too. Is that kind of just uh, not quite uh, as big or why do you go for the South Fork? South Fork fish fits my interest of fishing, I guess, better. The Henry's Fork's a smaller river, not as fast a banks, um, so and not as big a season either. So I tend to fish the Henry's Fork more first thing in the season, and then when it gets more into the summertime, I switch over to the South Fork and fish it clear into the fall. All right. And so right now, as we're looking, it's uh, kind of close to mid-December. Are you guys still as fishing done now for the season? Yeah, people are still fishing. I kind of switch over to other things myself but yeah i would say even later in the year than i used to go back to fish the henry's fork but i've not fished in this this time of year as much more recently okay then um in the uh the expo that happened this year we've been talking a little bit about this uh, i wasn't able to make it out i'm hoping to make it out this next year but how did that go the east idaho fly tying and uh, and fishing expo how'd that event go this year yeah, we had a great event this year. It was our first time back since COVID. So we took three years off for COVID. And in the meantime, we got a new facility, the uh, Otto Falls Mountain America Center. It's a, a hockey facility, uh -huh. multi-use facility was built. And we were actually, I think, the first uh, venue to, to book with them. And they were just kind of finishing it up as we 
put on the show this last spring. And there was a lot of new things. Yeah. <laughs> Several years off and new facility and, you know, all the costs and everything were different, but everything worked out really well. We had, a, I think, about 3,000 people show up. Wow. We run it for, for two days. So, yeah, we had 3,000 people show up and had a good time. Right. And this is kind of a mix between a lot of fly tying and then some uh, uh, companies that are there presenting products and things like that. Maybe describe, you know, when you walk into the the center, what you're looking at there. Yeah. So the reason we put on this is a, for a fundraiser for our, our club. We're a Trout Unlimited chapter, the Snake River Cutthroats. And we've been doing this oh, expo now for 27 years. So this new one, this coming year will be the 28th year. Um, and we've always considered ourselves a fly tying centric show. So we do feature a lot of tires a lot of the other shows there'll be some fly tires you know on a small table in the corner and our flyer tires are right out in the middle there's we have about 100 demonstrating fly tires over the whole time of the show this year we had 46 tables going at one time Mm -hmm. and then around the outside so this is basically in in the hockey rink there actually was still ice on the floor and they they put a floor insulated layer down over it so that was interesting too (laughs) couldn't tell the ice was there but yeah Amazing. And then we have, we had 40, 45 vendors um, that kind of go around the outside. So our show has an open feel because the, the taller vendors with the backdrops are just around the outside. So yeah, we got a pile of fly fishing vendors, boat vendors, equipment vendors, mm-hmm. clothing vendors, all sorts of that kind of stuff. And then we also run um, workshops, tying workshops. So if people want to sit down in a small environment with, you know, 10 other people and, and learn to tie specific kind of flies you know those are kind of three hour events um and then we have uh destination slideshows people can sit down and we have a person talking about kind of where or how to fish in our area Mm -hmm. and then we have a women's program so it's she does a all day kind of introduction to fishing and then a separate class she does um, this is Leslie Delago runs our women's program she does a, a tying class so something specific for women there find women are uncomfortable when they're hanging around mm-hmm. a pile of men. So yep. she does really well with that and women enjoy that. And then the second day, we kind of wrap it all up with a, a banquet and a live auction, silent auction. And that's kind of our main fundraiser. Oh, nice. And the, the whole show, the only thing we charge for is coming to the banquet, obviously for the food and the tying workshops. All the rest of that is free and open to the public. Oh, wow. Great. And does it look like you guys are going to be doing this again in uh, 2024? Yep. Yeah. We uh, signed a three-year contract with the center when we did that. So certainly I don't ever see us wanting to move from that. It's a wonderful new facility. And yeah, we're already in the planning phases. We've been working on that probably a month already. And the dates this year are March 22nd and 23rd. Oh, great. All right. I'll put those in the show notes and we'll get a link to all this in the show notes so people can check it out. But it sounds like if somebody's listening now, maybe they're you know, around the country listening. I mean, how far are people coming from? I know this is in Eastern Idaho. Are you getting folks kind of from around mostly the the adjacent states or what, how does that look? Yeah, adjacent states. We get a lot of people that come from California. We're kind of a summertime area from California. A lot of our tires will come from California, Oregon, Utah, Montana, Wyoming, and then even further. We have some that come from back east. We've had Charles Jardine come mm. over from England even, yep. so... Yeah, it, it draws people from a wide range. Right on. What was the most memorable thing that happened there? I mean, you guys planned this whole thing. I imagine it's just a ton of work. When you get it going, did anything interesting happen that sticks out in your mind? 
Uh, <laughs> That's a tough one. Yeah, it was it was just a big juggling effort. <laughs> was it? What's your role? What's your role there with the with the uh, event? I'm a co-chair. Um, I've been. We kind of call my category people the senior advisors with the club because we've been here long enough. But uh, with the expo specifically, I'm a I'm a co-chair. I've I've organized most different parts of it throughout the years. I've been working with it for almost 20 years. So wow. Um, yeah, just there's three of us that are co-chairs, and yeah, with going to a new facility, it was a lot of stuff to juggle, a lot of work last year, and well, we said, okay, we'll put in the work last year and reap the benefits this year because it'll be a lot of it's already done. So hopefully that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so, did you guys find? I mean, I guess you probably had some goals set to think like, hey, we're going to get this many people there. Did it meet your expectations and and all that? Looking back, yeah. The facility people were like, oh, you'll do much better. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> it, it's a more expensive facility. So we were worried about that and how yeah. it come out financially. But uh, we, we saw a significant increase in the number of people. You know, it's been three years and Idaho is getting more popular. So yeah. there's a lot a lot of new faces here. So there, we have those people to draw on. Um, so I think that helped with the numbers and being in the new facility that everybody wanted to see helps out too. the fact that we're a free show. It was kind of the first, I think we were the free first free show to be in that facility. So mm. people I think took advantage of that just to come see the facility too. And then financially we did better than we expected. We did well. So yeah, it was, it worked out best all around. Cool. <laughs> we got, we got hosed by the weather. It was it's that time of year. It's, that's always a crap shoot. Um, all right. You, you get bad weather, you get, I think more people show up, but then we're planning on having some casting classes outside and, mm. you know, it snowed, <laughs> I think two inches during the show. So we had to scramble and luckily one of our people that helps, um, helps out with uh, one of the tr- high school track teams and it was their spring break week. So we ended up being able to use the high school gymnasium for the casting at the last minute. So that, that worked well. There you go. Yeah. The weather is always X. Exp- I mean, I guess it's fly fishing, right? We were we were in New York last week, and uh, and the weather, same thing. It, it snowed two inches the night before. We weren't expecting it, and so it actually kept the rivers a little bit uh, more turbid than we were hoping. So you know what I mean. It kind of it's it's tough, but it's part of fishing, right? You never know what's going to happen. Same with your event uh, that time yep. of year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We we like having it. Like I said, it's it's better when the cra- weather's crappy. People aren't out doing yard stuff, and they come to the show. But you pay for it on some of the other things, like the casting. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. How do you guys go about finding all of the, you know, the guests, the vendors? Do you kind of just put a shout out to everybody or how do you choose who's going to be there? Yeah, we've got um, our vendor chair right now is John Stenerson and he works for Clackercraft and he's been going to shows in that role for a long time. So it's another person, Gary Barnes, was involved with Loop USA. Now he's running Semper Fi. So we've got some people, local people that are involved in the chapter that are kind of involved in that industry. And go around to shows and, you know, talk to people and see who we can get bring to our show and build the kind of show that we want. So mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, and these events are around. I mean, they're definitely spread around the country. This one is, you guys with the Snake River Cutthroats are with Trout Unlimited. Talk about that a little bit with Trout Unlimited. How, I know one, there's some big things going on in that area, right? Especially on the South Fork. Uh, what is Trout Unlimited doing? Give a little shout out to them, some of their programs. Yeah, we've been trying to limited. We were fortunate here to have a, they have what they call the Home Rivers Initiative. And that's kind of a nationally funded person working on projects for Trout Unlimited. And we had that position here for probably 10 years. And that was good for our chapter because that gave us, 
you know, good projects to be able to put the money we generate through the expo into that are local projects. And we did a, they did a lot of work on the South Fork and we're still doing a lot of work on the South Fork. They decided to kind of back off on that home rivers person, that person retired and they did not replace that. Mm. But the South Fork initiative, which is a, a branch of the Henry's Fork foundation was formed and, uh, their goal is just the South Fork as well. So we've been teaming up with them more recently um, to work on conservation projects on the river. The South Fork is kind of our main area. And Rainy Creek is one of the main tributaries on the South Fork that should be, and you know, going back 50, 100 years ago, was a main stocking, spawning tributary for the river. And hasn't been, they have weir fish weirs on them so they can count the number of stocking mm-hmm. fish. And it hasn't been... You know, in the last 20 years, uh, been something, been a producing tributary. So we spent a lot of work trying to get that yeah. figured out and hopefully get that turned around. So it is a fish factory again for our cutthroats and pumping them into our South Fork. Right on. And I'm, I'm assuming people can just go to like Trout Unlimited or they can they go to your website uh, and maybe give a shout out to that. What is your website for the Snake River Cutthroats? Yeah, it's just snakeovercutthroats.org and you can see what we're up to there or... Try to limit it or the South Fork initiative. Um, all three of those would, would have, it's the South Fork of the Snake River. Yeah, perfect. And, the, and we've had a number of episodes now. We've had the Henry's Fork. Um, lots of people talking about the areas, but it's the South Fork of the Snake, the Henry's Fork come together to make the Snake River, which is a massive western river that eventually flows into the Columbia and, and all that. So there's a lot going on up there. What is, um, you know, maybe talk about, I think one thing we talked about in the past was the, uh, the, some of this, I'm not sure if this is kind of a political thing, but some of the removal of the rainbows, is that something that Trout Unlimited is working on or what's going on there with that current? Is that still going on? Yeah. Trout Unlimited supports native fish. I mean, that's one of their, their stances. And, um, in our area that, that is the cutthroat and, and they've been here for centuries and, uh, the rainbows were introduced and the rainbows are in 49 of the 50 right they're everywhere 50 they're states all the world. and yeah. and the south fork actually is considered the last main stem river so like you said a, a major stem major artery river it's the last main stem river that still has cutthroats in it oh wow so, so we kind of our chapter you know we're called the snake river cutthroats <laughs> yeah we take that personally and and we want to protect our local fish and there are some people and even a couple of outspoken guides that want the rainbows and cause they fight harder. And, you know, if you want to fish rainbows, go fish the Henry's Fort, go fish, you know, the Madison. There's, yeah, there's a lot. There's 20 other rivers in, within two hour driving range of our area. You can catch rainbows on. And we don't agree with that. And the think that the cutthroat should be here. The analogy I like to put is that's kind of like telling an elk hunter that you should let Cape Buffalo Right. <laughs> Let's replace elk with Kate Buffalo. That's really the same thing. No one in their right mind would ever consider that. But no. but you know, Kate Buffalo or they're stronger, bigger, tougher. I mean, that would be a better trophy, but the Rocky Mountain elk are or what's here. And that's the same thing with the cutthroat. They've been here forever. And the a lot of guides like the cutthroats. Yeah. I certainly like the cutthroats. Um, because they like to eat dry flies a lot more. So if if you're into dry fly fishing, especially with bigger flies, cutthroats are easier prey <laughs> and more apt to eat a dry fly. And not so much with the rainbows. So yeah, not so much the rainbow. Yeah, no. That's I'm glad you uh, clarified that a little bit. And I think that um, yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. I think that there's some areas. Obviously, every river is different. But if this is the last remaining um, main stem stock of cutthroats, you know, I mean, there's some stuff you got to do. Sometimes drastic if it means protecting 
the diversity of a, a native fish, you know, and so those choices aren't always easy, right? Yeah. You know, Fish and Game is spearheading that. We support their work. You know, I, we volunteer and help them. Um, Trout Unlimited supports that work, but it, they're the ones that are really pushing that. And it's it all comes down mainly to a, a listing. I mean, their their populations are getting low enough that it could potentially be listed as an endangered species. And, and the whole worry there is then it gets out of state fish and games control and gets put into federal control. And then you have no no, no control. control of yeah. I'm, they're they're gonna they're gonna save the fish, and that make me not being able to fish the river. So yeah, you know we're and some people get wrapped around the axle too. I mean, they are fishing game is actively. Um, they tried to let the the fishermen do as much of it as possible. So th- they came up with a three pronged approach. They wanted to increase the spring flush up flows. flows the rainbows spawn in the in the main stem where the cutthroats spawn in the tributaries. So if they could get a historical flush, and that's really why the rainbows have taken over, is is it's not a natural river anymore. We've got Palisades Dam and Jackson Lake Dam in there. The control of the big springtime flows that historically would have would have favored the cutthroat. Mm-hmm. They're spawning in the side tributaries and disrupted the the rainbows. So now that that's not natural, that's that's why the rainbows have done so well um, yeah. in the rivers. So. Um, but their their approach was that fresh 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 at they call it you know try try to dump a bunch of water in the springtime and mess the reds up, um, but that they're just the waters the rivers water management system's not really set up at all for for the fish it's all for for irrigation and and they just haven't been able to get the flows and they've learned a lot and found out okay they they almost have to get the flooding Idaho Falls levels to really be able to do it and then they instigated no no keep for their cutthroats and then man not mandatory but no limit on the rainbow so you know they had some public meetings the anglers said hey we want to be able to to help you solve this problem don't do it yourself and they did that for i would say 10 years and it kind of kept it even but hasn't got to where they wanted so this i think 3 years ago they started uh, shocking and removing the rainbows off of the reds so, um they transplant them they move them to some of the fishing ponds and other areas Oh, they move some over to the Henry's Fork. Um, mm-hmm. And so they're trying to see how that works. And and uh, I got to give them credit for for going as, as far as they can. They originally didn't think, you know, it's a big river. For yeah. Summertime flows are 14,000 CFS, but they were six. They do it in the springtime and they were successful. I've helped once with them netting fish and and did well. They they when I helped, we transplanted them over on the Henry's Fork and. They've actually moved them clear over to central Idaho. They had a oh, wow. tributary to one of the medium-sized rivers over there, and they put a whole bunch of them over there and got a really lot of great feedback from the people that were fishing over there. And that's what they want to do is have good feedback. So like, all right, we're going to take more over there. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. It's. I think any of these operations are never easy, right? It's um, just invasive species in general. It's hard to get rid of them. You know, you yeah. Imagine, I, yeah. I think a lot of people look at it as you're taking fish out of the river. That means there's going to be less fish. And it doesn't really work that way. When you look at the biological setup of it all, you're just taking fish out. There's always more fish in the river to fill the available slot. So the fish, the river can handle so many fish per mile. And if you take X number of fish out, there is an excess of fish waiting to fill those spots. So you don't really see a a drop in, in your ability to catch fish. You're just catching more cutthroats than rainbows. Gotcha. Thanks for clarifying that. We were, 
We were over there this year in uh, early October, and we fished the Henry's Fork and the South Fork, and we were doing like a Euro nymphing school with Pete Erickson, and so it was really focused on nymphing. But um, but it was fun. It was like it's a beautiful river, floating like drifting. Is that kind of how you do it? What, what, what's talk about that a little bit? Your fishing? Are, it sounds like you do some dry fly fishing. Are you floating mostly? Yeah, the, especially in the summertime. The South Fork, it's a big river, and in the summertime, the waters the waters up up to the bank mm. so it's not you know that there are waiting opportunities but that tends to be a more in in gravel bars riffles out in the middle so it's not really a, a bank fishing friendly river in the middle of the summer it is this time of year and early in the spring for sure because the water's a lot lower and, and you can get foot access to some of those gravel bars a lot easier so the majority of the time i fish it it is from a boat and uh i kind of first learned to fish the south fork what we call bang in the bank so it's back rowing. <laughs> yep. The oars always slowing the boat down. You're back rowing it. And I always tell everybody, if you can cut the distance your fly is from the bank in half, you'll double the number of fish. So you try to get it as close. You know, if people are throwing it a, a foot from the bank and catching a dozen fish from the day, in a day, you can cut that down to six inches from the bank because our banks are deep. They're brushy and deep. So the fish, they want to hang out of the current. So they're tied against that brush where the current drops off and the closer you can get it to the brush, if you're bank fishing like that, the better you do. And that's the kind of fishing I originally started fishing. I enjoy streamer fishing too. Um, and I, I streamer fish quite a bit floating. Now, a lot of people think streamer fishing is just a shady fall, shady day, fall kind of thing. And that's not the case. No. <laughs> you can catch fish on streamers anytime, anytime of the year, you know, and it's, I always tell everybody, if you're not catching fish, do something different, you know, yeah. if you're, fishing the bank bang the banks you're at catching try streamers try you know kind of the last thing i'll try in the middle of summer is nymphing but hey sometimes that's what it takes <laughs> yeah right 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 and, and our banging the banks are you doing that with dry flies mostly yep usually a big dry fly um some people like to try droppers but you can't get it real close if you got a dropper so it's usually a, a big chernobyl ant or a big foam fly and we tend to, to twitch them a fair amount too just to get more attention Right on. And what's your, uh, what kind of boat are you running down there? I mostly fish with friends in their drift boats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm kind of a, a boat geek. I own 14 boats, but I don't own a drift boat. Oh, wow. You have four, <laughs> 14 boats. So, so what, what are these boats? Are these a mixture of uh, rafts or what are they? Yeah, I've got I'm a whitewater guy too. So I've got uh, a bigger whitewater raft that we run down the middle fork and the salmon, oh, right. whitewater stuff. I've got a smaller raft that I run down smaller rivers that you can't don't have access and then i've got lots of kayaks three whitewater kayaks sea kayaks duck hunting kayaks i got a couple of like a lake boat a jet boat so okay <laughs> but all my friends have drift boats so you got everything but the drift and i guess you don't need it just because your friends have the boat yeah you always have to go fishing with somebody and all my fishing friends have drift boats so i fish out of a drift boat most you know yeah. on the river for sure but that's right and most of those boats the uh, drift boat hides uh, or clackas are those kind of typical yeah, hides and clackas are the, the two popular. I would say on the South Fork, it's more clackas than hides. But then if you go over on the whitewater, you know, upstream some around Jackson, then you see more of the hides that are higher sided. They're a little mm. more whitewater. Yeah, more whitewater. whitewater-ish. That's right. In the Middle Fork, you see some boats there, right? Some of the, the wooden drift boats that are floating that one? <laughs> yeah. I've seen some drift boats on that river on crazy low waters that I have. I would have loved to see how they rode through some of that stuff. I know, right. Well, I, you know, because, yeah, they're beautiful wood drift boats. And and the one trip, it was 
2.4 feet, which is extremely low. And, yeah. and e- even the outfitters, they were running, flying in their clients. Yeah, flying in. Missed the low stuff. Yep, miss the high stuff. Or the high stuff, right. Where the water's, water's really low, yeah. and But the boats have to get there. They can't fly a drift boat in. So, you know, we started from the top with a private trip, and and they even run those crazy, huge uh, sweet boats <laughs> at crazy low water levels. Oh, wow. And we were, you know, it took us three days to get to the, the Indian Creek airstrip, and here comes these drift boats. You know, it's the guides. They call it deadheading. They get to put in, and they got to go all the way down to Indian Creek in a day because that's how their permits work. So mm. here comes these drift boats down. You're just just one guy in a boat, and usually you'd only see, you know, one or two, and then it'd be you know, half an hour. You'd see another one. They're kind of all on their own. It's like, how do you do that? Right. <laughs> amazing, amazing rowers that they can take beautiful wood drift boats. They're wood, right? Because they're most – and why, why are they mostly wood drift boats down there, do you think? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because you think a fiberglass or something else might be a little more durable. Yeah, a fiberglass would probably be more durable, but I don't know. They're historic and beautiful, but yeah, you, you wouldn't want to ding them up. But you know, aluminum one's going to get banged up, and fiberglass one's going to get banged up. I, 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 like I said, I would just pull up to see them run a couple of the rapids because I know. I mean, there's barely enough room for your raft. There's no room for your oars. So your oars are lifted up going near you barely fit between the rocks. And, you know, you, you go through a slide like that and you got to do a 90 degree turn and slide over. And, you know, we're rafts. We're constantly bouncing off the rocks. And right. They, they can't be doing that. So. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, it's a cool area because you have that, the middle fork. We talked about the middle fork on a recent episode as well. And then, and then you said the salmon, I mean, you've got the main, the main salmon. Is that something you guys do quite a bit? Are, are you doing these trips typically every year? I would say we do a big whitewater trip every three years or so. This year we did float the Maine salmon and uh, the Smith River over in Montana. Oh, Smith, yeah. And we we did float the Middle Fork last year. So yeah, how was the Middle Fork? Was it low or high? It was medium. Medium. Yeah, I think it was running three three feet. Three feet. Okay. I think the lowest we ran was actually one point four, and I think last time it was like two point seven. And I was surprised. It felt low, but I couldn't believe we ran it at, at the lowest we had when it felt low at this level. But. Yeah. Do you get any, I mean, are there any rapids there that you kind of get fired up that, you know, get a little uh, anxious on? Or you, you got them pretty dialed? The Middle Fork is is a yeah. <laughs> impressive river. It's 100 miles and there are a pile of, pile of white water. And when it gets lower, it gets more technical and not so pushy. You still can wrap boats pretty easy. Then the rocks are more more prone so you can wrap boats easy but maybe the odds of flipping a boat in the middle of a big rapid or or lower because it's more technical rather than big gotcha no it's a good i've been hoping to get back out there and do that trip again and when we did it we it was really low and it was like you said it was technical we were hitting a lot of rocks but it wasn't as crazy so i mean have you been at the higher flows where things are really pushing and boats are flipping and it's i mean there must be some crazy things that have happened with all that white water the highest we've done it at is five feet. And I did that in a kayak and that was, that was a pretty comfortable, friendly level. I've got some friends that have, you know, been doing it for way longer than I have. And they're the kind of rule of thumb. Once it gets above six feet, it gets really pushy and crazy. And I think this last year it, it hit seven feet. Oh, wow. Our rule of thumb is, I mean, I don't, I don't do whitewater for the excitement. I do it for the the scenery and the right. the fishing and that kind of things. So I, I've never been one that sought out the craziness of it, but the, our, so our rule of thumb is always, we'll get on it. If it's, 
you, you never get on it while it's going up. So if it's going up, you know, if your your limit is maybe five feet, you don't get on it at four, four, four and a half feet, five feet when it's going up. You wait until it peaks and then you wait till it's coming down <laughs> and then you get on it because it can go, it can get crazy. You know, you can get on it at four feet and it can be seven feet in, in three or four days and you're like, what did I sign up for? Here? Right. How, how do you do that with the passes? Because isn't this a, uh, like you get your pass for a certain time of a week or something like that? How do you do yeah, it? it? Yeah. It's a lottery. And so there's four rivers in the state of Idaho, the Selway, the Middle Fork, the Main Salmon, and Hell's Canyon are the four that, that are lottery systems. And yeah, so you got, I've only drawn once, but mm. got enough friends that we built with that I've I've been down at like, I think eight times the Middle Fork. Mm. Yeah. So it's doable. So if somebody's listening now and they want to do this trip, I guess they just go to the website. Is it a national uh, forest or uh, forest service sort of thing? Or how do they get their permits for the Middle Fork? Yeah. It's all our rivers are managed by the forest service. So yeah. And then all the outfitters, I mean, if someone just wants to go on a trip and wants to go with an outfitter, they, they get launches every day. So yeah, pretty much can just buy a trip on an outfitter. So they sell out pretty quickly. So Perfect. What, so Idaho Falls, so you're in, you've been there a long time. What, what is, what do you love about Idaho Falls? What keeps you there? It's close to a lot of things, a lot of outdoor things, I guess. So it's, it's not that pretty of a town It's a desert on the edge of the desert. So it's not, I mean, I've recently been to some other places in Arizona where I just spent a month in Arizona and, and Flagstaff and, you know, all the big pretty Ponderosa pine forests and spent a week in pace in Arizona and, you know, there that's prettier than here, but you know, we've got well, what five blue ribbon rivers <laughs> yeah. within, within two hours. I, I was an outdoor person. I've been, have been an outdoor person my whole life. So I did backcountry skiing, rock climbing, fishing, hunting. My dad was a big, he came from here from Nebraska to be a hunter, elk hunter. So I hunted a lot when I was growing up. Yeah. Just a lot to do here. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think that's what I keep hearing is that not only is there the fishing and the hunting, but there's everything else. You got all these, especially the winter sports. I think it's known as, you know, I think it's the snowmobile capital of the world, right? You got all these different things going on out there. It seems like there's just a, like right now, are you guys getting, I guess you're getting some snow or when's the, when's the season come where you kind of, you know, get into the skiing and all that. Is that right now? Depends on the year. Last year. So I help out with uh, Idaho Falls Ski Club. I maintain two wall tents above a ski hill, just above town for cross country skiing. Mm -hmm. And we always put those up late November, mm -hmm. um, early December. And last year I got back a week before Thanksgiving and there was already th two feet of snow on the ground. Wow. <laughs> and we hadn't put the, we usually put the floor drive, the drive in and put the floors down, you know, at end of November. And we weren't doing that. We had to change our plan and haul everything in by snowmobile. So last year was different. It was, you know, like I said, middle of November when we had two feet of snow in the ground, but usually it's a couple of weeks. Middle of December usually is when the ski and ski season starts. Mm, okay. And so those tents, so this is something where you put these up for the season and then you're just what there to help people uh, that are cross country skiing or how does that work? Yeah. They're warming tents for cross country skiing. And then the one tent, actually people can reserve it and spend the night in it. It's a 12 by 20 tent mm -hmm. that they both got wood stoves in them and, yeah, just kind of a, a resource for the local cross country skiers. That's awesome. And then you, and then people man it. There's somebody there manning the the tent throughout the season. Um, no, no, no. We just put the tents out, and and enough users. The only thing we got to do is keep the snow off the 
off the roofs and there's enough users there and they they understand they have to do that if we want to keep them upright. Gotcha. <laughs> so yeah, people people just yeah, it doesn't take too much to knock the snow off. Well, know. this is awesome. Yeah. So where would you go if someone wanted to find out about that and do some of that cross country skiing? How can they track this down? Yeah, the Idaho Falls Ski Club's webpage. I think it's just IdahoFallsSkiClub.org. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you must get, I mean, you're obviously close to Yellowstone. I mean, that's another thing we haven't talked about, but you've got all sorts of, all, all of that. I mean, are, do you think it's an equal amount of summer and winter activities out there? Or, or it seems like you, you, there's a, a lot of both. There's plenty to do in the winter if you're if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're into cross-country skiing, downhill skiing, snowmobiling, ice fishing, there's plenty to do. But if you're a warm weather person, then yeah, it's a long winter. <laughs> mm-hmm. We got snow just before Thanksgiving and we'll have that snow in the ground here until it melts in March. No, oh, in March. I was going to say, so the expo's around uh, March 22nd. So will it, there'll still be snow on the ground by then? Up in the mountains for sure. Yeah. It's amazing. We take those tents out probably mid-March. We took it out this year and that was the deepest snowpack we had had all year. So it, it, you get more snow, you get more snow and it just doesn't, it settles some, but it doesn't really melt more snow, more snow. And then spring gets here and it melts. And in like two weeks, you lose five feet of snow. Oh, wow. Just like that. <laughs> it's, yeah. So it's funny. We're up there, you know, I've got pictures. We're taking down the wall tent and I mean, the, the, there's five feet of snow beside the tent. You know, when we're done, here's this huge hole in the snow with a plywood floor. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then, you know, two weeks later, it's all gone. Yeah. What is, is this a homemade wall tent or is there a brand that is behind the tent? No, well, uh, the time these were built, I don't think there was yeah, many, a while ago. Yeah. Many brands. Well, actually our, our tents are new now and they were built by a local canvas company, uh, Idaho canvas. Oh yeah. Idaho canvas. Okay. Nice. Well, let's go back to the expo a little bit here. So anything else we want to, you know, as we look ahead, because I want to get people primed up for that. So are you going to have probably some of the same vendors, some of the same tires? You know, what can people expect for this next year coming up here in March? Yeah, so we should have a few more vendors. We, You know, we're a new facility. We kind of learned some things last year. We kind of learned besides the hockey arena area, there's a concourse around the outside. So we're going to take advantage of that and maybe get some more vendors and use that space and hopefully get a few more tires too. I mean, hundred tires is plenty, but yeah. um, the one thing, I guess the one drawback to this facility is the the banquet facility, the old facility, we had one room. So <laughs> we had to change the show. So uh, what was it? Three, three 30, we kicked all the vendors out and five o'clock we opened the door for the banquet. So <laughs> oh, wow. we, we changed the whole entire room over kicked all the vendors out, cleaned up the floor and set up all the banquet tables. So Jeez. that's what's nice about this area is they have a separate convention center, but that convention center isn't quite as large. So where we used to be able to seat 500 people, now we can only seat like 330 people at the banquet. And and we sold that out. So um, I would say if, if anybody wants to come to the banquet and the live auction and you know enjoy that night and help us raise some funds, you got to get your tickets early for that. You do. Yeah, that will that will obviously sell it again. And where would they go if they want to get those tickets right now? That's our. They're not on sale yet. We probably don't put them on sale until probably the first of February. Okay, so that'll be that. The stakeovercutthroats.org is when you can see where everything that's going on, and you can sign up for the workshops online there this year, and also the buy the banquet tickets or packages if you want a raffle ticket package. Oh, perfect to go with your banquet. But yeah, definitely. If you want to go to the, the tying workshops, like I said, that is something you can't just come to the show. 
that's you need to be signed up ahead of time and then the banquet that's really the only two things that people um have to get signed up ahead of time before they come yeah did uh did uh, renee harrop did he make it down this last year i don't think so renee's Kind of a personal guy. He doesn't yeah. show up a lot. Leslie, his daughter Leslie, taught fly tying classes with us. Oh, okay, a lot over the years and has a presence. Mike Lawson used to offer trips through our expo through the light. He would donate and live auction and Jack Dennis as well. So we used to have some personal trips from some big name people. That they're getting they're getting older. Yeah, they don't want to do that anymore, and I certainly <laughs> don't blame them. <laughs> Who are the new? That's always the question because we have we've had a lot of old amazing people, you know, older people that are. Like you said, Jack Dennis, he's still out there. I mean, I think Mike, all those people are out there. It's just they're slowing down. Who are the next people? You know, like who are those people at your show that are maybe the next up and comers that are going to be the next Mike Lawson's, even though we, we can't really replace somebody like Mike? You know, I don't, I don't, I mean, there's tying people, you know. Yeah. But I don't, I don't see that. I mean, those guys, you know, Bob Jacklin, um, you know, Mike Lawson, Jack Dennis, yep. that they, they all work kind of at the start of the popularity of fly fishing. I mean, when a river runs through it came out and right. fly fishing took off that they were in the fly shop business and, and, you know, they were, had the guide businesses and had the fly shops and got that notoriety, but I don't see that any, anymore, really. You know, it, there's enough fly shops around and there's, they're busy running their business and, and don't need to be the celebrities. And there's an enough influx of a whole bunch of different, guide shops around odd you just don't see those expert people that are willing to to share interested in being a celebrity and want to share write books and do talks yeah you just don't see that anymore yeah has changed are you getting a, a influx of newer is it mostly older folks or are you seeing some younger generation at your event oh our tires tend to be a little more the uh, we, we get a little bit a lot of everything but um i would say you know, having not having the show for the last three years, I would say this year we did see a an increase in even kids. We had we have some tying tables, and I would say there was more kids that that came, nice. and then yeah, more of the you know just starting your personal life, your perf- profession, you know, people in their twenties or whatever. Um, uh, uh, increase in in that category, of people too. Mm-hmm. No, so if somebody was wanting to come to that, this is in, you know, mid, like you said, March 22nd. Um, what what does that look like if they're kind of coming from a distance? Where would they be staying? Do you have recommendations on hotels or what are, to, you know, if they're coming from a ways, where, what are people doing? Yeah, yeah, there are a few, not, not out there just yet, but when, when we get closer to the show, we do have deals with, um, you can get reduced rates it's at a couple of hotels that are close to the venue. So, so that's there. And the reason we kind of also settled on, we used to do this in April, I think the third week of April, and we ran into a conflict with a show in California. And also when you get into April, our runoff season is starting and our, our fishing actually gets worse where in March you're pre runoff. So the Henry's fork actually, and, and a lot of the other smaller rivers in our area are better fishing. So you know, as, as long as it's not snowing, <laughs> it's actually better fishing in March than it would be in, in April. So that was kind of one of the reasons why we settled on that date is because I think a, do, a lot of people do come from areas, certainly our tires, some, you know, coming from California, whatever, they're, they're not just wanting to sit down and tie. They want to combine it into a trip. So they, they fish some of the local area as well then. Mm, right. Yeah. So March, you can definitely get some fishing out there. That, and that, well, I guess that you have the tailwater. So throughout the whole year, you can fish out there. Yep. And like I said, you, you get into April, then the natural runoff 
starts to happen and the water clarity water gets higher and, and more turbid. So the fishing is not as good, but March is still the pre-runoff springtime season. So as long as you get a, a warm weather day, the fishing can be really good. Perfect. And if somebody wanted to learn more about the fishing, I guess, like we said, there's a ton of great fly shops. Maybe we could start to take it out here with our fly shop uh, shout out here. And then I have a couple of uh, other random questions for you. But um, so I wanted to hear about that. We've talked to a number of these fly shops from around uh, the area. But um, today's this is presented by Yellowstone Teton Territory, who's obviously in your t- I think they actually promote the event, right? Do you know the folks involved in, with that? Yeah, they were a, a big part with kind of we got hooked in with them through the Mountain America Center. Um, and last year, yeah, they, they did pony up and help us promote the show a, a lot. Nice. What is, uh, so let's talk fly shops. What, what is your local fly? You're in Idaho Falls, so I know there's a few big ones. I think even uh, maybe the Fly Fish Food guys have purchased one up in that area. What, what, but what is your local fly shop? Yeah, so our, our local fly shop for you know, my whole <laughs> my whole life here has been Jimmy's fly shop in town here. And and he did retire this last year, sold his fly shop, um, had been in the market to sell it for a while. And I'm glad he got the chance to retire finally. Uh, amazing guy did more for fly fishing and our snake river cutthroats than, than anybody I've ever met. Um, and, but he did sell that to fly fish food and, you know, they weren't on kind of our radar as someone that might take that over. And we're all wondering, man, who's going to replace Jimmy. And that was an awesome fit because fly fish food is Jimmy was a fly tying centric shop. Rather, you know, we mentioned all the other shops in, in the area in the more destination, West Yellowstone, Jackson kind of things. Those are outfitters and that's kind of their main business. And we don't have, Jimmy never guided out of that shop, never had that. It, it's a fishing shop. And, and we were real pleased that uh, Fly Fish Food took that over because that's their business, you know, is, is tying materials. And they took Jimmy's crazy amount of inventory and like tripled it. So now we've got an amazing selection of materials here in, in town for tying. Yeah. So you see it. So you see a lot, a, a lot more materials. And then is Jimmy still around the fly shop occasionally? No, he's retired. Not he comes in as they need to help, you know help figure things out that yeah, sure <laughs> that i think yeah he's fishing yeah he's fishing that's right <laughs> and he he should be <laughs> yeah that's cool so so jimmy deserves it yeah and are there other fly shops in idaho falls that's the main fly fishing only shop um there's a, a sportsman and cabela's here um but they don't have near as near the stuff that jimmy says by any means that's right yeah and and what do you you know when you think about jimmy what made him so unique how would you paint that picture of somebody who's never met him before Jimmy's just one of the nicest, most congenial people you could ever meet. And he trained all his employees to do the same thing. When you walked in their shop, he's like, you know, hey, Dave, how's it going? Let us know if you need anything. And they just, <laughs> no high pressure, no nothing, you know. And and he, we had all our expo planning meetings in his shop. You know, he just opens the door to all of that and supported us with donations and everything over the years. And just his goal was, you know, let's just make fly fishing and tying in this area as good as it can and I'll reap the benefits. And, and he did had a very successful shot. That's awesome. Yeah. I hope to get Jimmy on. I would love to hear more of that story from him as well. So, well, let's jump into a few uh, random ones, then we'll take it out of here. So, you know, like we said, the Yellowstone Teton territory, we're helping to promote some of the, you know, local businesses and brands around that area. But, um, so let's think of this. So we're t- somebody's doing a trip up there. What would be, I'm not sure, restaurants out there? Do you guys get out? Would you have one recommendation if somebody was fishing there, you know, during the time of the uh, the event for the expo? Where would they go and get some dinner? Any, do you guys have a, a favorite place? Yeah, I would say my favorite kind of steak place is probably Stockman's. Stockman's? 
Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's a nice steak place. And there's, there's a couple other ones. Um, Jaker's is another one. And the Sandpiper are kind of our three nice steak places. And they're all three pretty close to the river. We have the Snake River flowing through town here. And and both, I guess, Sandpiper is the only one that actually has a deck that is out looking on the river. But they're all, all pretty close to it. Perfect. Perfect. And, and then you talked about uh, cross country skiing, any other activities that you like doing, whether it's, you know, throughout the year, other than the skiing, anything outdoor? Yeah. Downhill skiing. I mean, we've got, <laughs> uh, Targi. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's Targi is, I grew up skiing there. Um, I backcountry skied on Jackson pass a lot, which is the same kind of snow. Um, Jackson hole is on the other side, but it gets more sun. And I spent my, 30s traveling all over the west skiing different places and you never find any snow that's better than targi really? <laughs> so if you're after quality powder snow light fluffy snow yeah it doesn't get it doesn't any better from all the places i've skied and targi is and where is that in relation to jackson it's just on the other side of the tetons in the in the driggs valley oh in driggs yeah yeah that's right okay oh. so targi yeah that, we must have been close because we stayed in driggs when we were down there fishing at Airbnb. So yeah, it's really, it is amazing because you're literally in Jeff. We've had some guests on Jeff Courier. I know when he was on here last, he talked about how, you know, he lived in, uh, on the, the West side and just went over the, you know, the mountains to get over to Jackson because it's so spendy. Um, yeah. and, but I think everything's getting a little spendy there, right? even the Driggs in those areas, right? Because it's just, yeah, it, Driggs and Victor yeah. are blowing up too. And yeah, it's turning into a Jackson. It is right. And as Idaho falls is just kind of not, it's kind of a different type of town. It, it's, uh, you're not seeing the same thing? No, I would say the last five years, we're definitely doing that too. We've probably seen a 25% increase in the last five years in population here. And it's, it is a richer clientele that's moving yeah. into retiring to the area, basically. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's keep going down this with our rapid fire here. So we got, uh, we talked flies. You mentioned the Chernobyl, uh, Chernobyl ant. Uh, what's your one, you know, if you had the one fly for dry fly other than that one, or is that your pattern if you're fishing in the summer? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we tie our own all our own flies. So the Chernobyl Ant is a genre. Yeah. <laughs> and we, yeah, you can paint it in whatever colors. That is my favorite dry fly, bang in the banks fly, because it, we can twitch it well. It floats real well. Um, and the fish just like it. I mean, it's, it got picked up by the guides. And I fish with world cast anglers this year. My, my wife bought a trip at the expo, two day overnight trip, and we fished with them. And the guide had us on a different kind of hopper, golden stone pattern. Um, just fished that with my wife and she did really well with it. And and I got tired of that and I put on a, a purple Chernobyl and he's like, well, okay. Yep. And, and I caught fish on. He's like, wow, I'm surprised they still eat that. Oh, really? <laughs> it got really popular. And, oh, you know, right. The, yeah. The more, but you know, when you're tying them your own, it's, you make your own colors and they're never exactly like the popular fly in the fly shop that everybody buys. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And who, who's your, your guide? Who was that that guided you that day? Oh, geez. He'd ask me that. I don't yeah. remember his name. Was... I'm trying to think because we, we went out. Well, Pete works with WorldCast as well. So we met the owner and, and hung out with those guys a little bit. But yeah, they got a big crew. I mean, I think they have like 40 or 50 guides or something like that. Yeah, they, they do. And they came to the expo that a lot of the guides, they don't, I guess, look at it. There's that much business. I mean, the locals don't buy trips on the local rivers, right? So mm. they haven't come to our expo. But yeah, the WorldCast came and they brought more of their shop and were selling items and stuff. And yeah, it was fun to to see them there. And yeah, they do have a big shop and a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's take it out of here. I always love to ask the uh, podcast music question. Do you listen to any podcasts or you, do you do more music? 
Or what do you listen to more? Do you have any podcasts in your queue or, or do you listen to music? What's that look like when you're traveling to uh, to go fishing? Yeah, I, I play music off an of MP3 player, not really a streaming guy okay. for sound. Yep. Yeah. How about podcasts? Have, have you got into that at all? No, not really. Not really. There you go. So we've got a potential new uh, future podcast listener. They, they say that about 50% of the the population in the U.S. listens to podcasts and the other 50 doesn't. So I guess you're one of the, one of the other. That's good. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so what's your, give us some music to put in the show notes to put on Instagram. What would be something, what type of music or do you have a group or genre or what, what do you listen to? Uh, we've been listening to the record company a lot lately. The record company? Yeah. Okay, perfect. And what type of music is that? Oh, it's kind of Southern rock, I think. Oh, nice. Southern rock. Awesome. They were in uh, Sun Valley. We had a concert my wife got us plugged into three different concerts over there, and that was the one we enjoyed the most. Perfect. All right, good. Well, we'll put this in the show notes. We'll get a link to the record company if we can, a video or something there, and that kind of scratching my own itch. I always love to get some new tunes. So, perfect, Dave. Well, I think um, that's good. I guess um, maybe just give a heads up. So, you got the big in the next six months or so. You've got the big event coming up in March. What else are you looking at? Are you excited about over the next six months to a year, you know, for you or, or the Snake River Cutthroats? Oh, I just enjoy the coming to the springtime season fishing season yep so always there's a lake i like to fish around here actually for panfish oh, really? <laughs> I've, been, I've been fishing that lake i grew up fishing it and my wife did as well <laughs> for forever ago when we were six years old and uh, i've been going back to that lake for for years so since we both have history there we like to spend a week there and every june so there you go that's it i mean so the still are still good there right i mean you still hit that as much as the rivers yeah, it just kind of depends on what you're interested in. But yeah, we certainly have good Henry, Henry's Lake. That's <laughs> yeah. Anybody in the country probably has heard about Henry's Lake. And yep. And and uh, more recently, I've even gotten into smallmouth fishing, that, which is kind of rare in this area. But we do have some smallmouth fishing. And uh, we put together a, a pike trip actually that a bunch mm. of us on the club were going. So uh, one of the guys that used to be a Trout Unlimited guy um, is now running a travel business, Hatch Adventures, and uh, he. He had an article in the paper about him checking out a potential pike place up in the Yukon. So we got hooked up with him and 10 of us are going to go up there in early June and, and chase some pike. We've done a trip over on Saskatchewan on Reindeer Lake once before. So those guys, people that went on that are like, oh, we got to do that again. So it's always fun. I, if you're a streamer fisherman, pike is like pure adrenaline. <laughs> pike is it. So you're heading up north up to Canada to hit the pike. Yep, clear, clear north, Yukon, clear up by Alaska. Oh, wow, Yukon. Yep. That's really cool, man. And so this is part of the your local TU chapter that the people are the, uh, you're connecting, these putting these trips together? Yeah, yep. Wow. And what is that with your chapter? What is the, um, you know, what are you guys doing mostly there? It sounds like you've got some events. So what what, um, what keeps people coming back to, um, you know, the Snake River Cutthroats? Yeah, so we're, it's just a nonprofit just to kind of, you know, get people together that like fishing. So we, our main fundraiser is that expo. And then we turn around and, and do fund and also carry out our own um, conservation projects. So we do, you know, three or four or five of those a year, build fence. We did some in-stream. We did work up in, on the Salmon River or tributaries of the Salmon for 25 years. We did different projects up there, more for steelhead stuff. Um, now we're doing more stuff more locally. Yeah. And then over the summer, we've got uh, fishing outings. So it's just, um, kind of get-togethers with people. We have a summer picnic and Christmas party. I'm wrapping gifts. I've got a pile of gifts here on the floor for the Christmas party. And, uh, and then we do some education stuff. We have 
uh, tying workshops, kind of learning how to tie beginning. Oh, yeah, I saw that. You guys are doing those kind of at local pubs or something like that? or Yeah, that one's Tie One On. So yeah, that, Tie One yeah, On. We, yeah, we have a get-together once a month and just bring in kind of a noted tire, and he ties and shares kind of his patterns and what he's tying. Yeah. I love how you guys do it. Cause I, mean, I haven't been to one, but I was checking out some of the photos and you've got kind of the big screen on. And is that typically at like a pub or where do you guys do that? Yeah. It's called Tap and Fill. It's a, it's a local, local pub. Perfect. Tap and Fill. And then you got the big screen, which is cool. So it's all blown up. So from hanging out, you can just sit wherever and then watch it on the big screen. Yeah. I mean, we're just in the bar. So I mean, there's a lot of people that just come to the bar. So yeah, we get a lot of people just walking over. What is going on back here? <laughs> yeah. You're probably recruiting some new people, right? Some new fly anglers maybe at, at yep, the event. Yep. Yeah. And that, that was kind of the goal with that yeah. that thing is to get some, I mean, there's, there's always everybody's different groups of people and that's a younger crowd that, that we kind of get, get with that. And, and we do a, the fly fishing film festival as part of the expo and we see a different, totally different group of people that come to that than, than a lot of the other stuff. So yeah, we, we try to be diverse enough to give something that everybody can enjoy. Sweet. All right, Dave. Well, I think uh, if people want to connect with the expo, I did this, your website, right? Snake river cutthroats.org. Is that the best place? Yep. That's the club and the expo. Good deal. Okay. Well, we'll put that link in the show notes as well. And just want to thank you today for your time. I'm hopefully going to be out there this year. I'd love to, uh, meet up with you and everybody there and chat about it. I know we've had at least one episode here where we talked about it, but I know we're going to have more of this going forward. So uh, yeah, I appreciate all your time today and looking forward to hopefully meeting you in person. Yeah, that'd be nice. That's a wrap on Traveled, part of the Wet Fly Swing podcast and Swing Outdoors. This podcast was supported by Eastern Idaho's Yellowstone Teton Territory. You can support this podcast and Eastern Idaho by heading over to wetflyswing.com slash Teton right now. And you can let any of the brands know that you found them through this podcast and click in there and check out all the great brands. We've had a number of them on this podcast and, uh, and we would love you to find out all the good stuff they have going. You can also check in with me anytime, Dave at wetflyswing.com if you have any questions or feedback or have an idea of where we should be traveling to next. And one big reminder before we get out of here, the Stillwater School is going right now. If you go to wetflyswing.com slash Stillwater School, you can find out if we have any slots available for the big trip out to this part of eastern Idaho. Phil Roy is going to be our guru. He's going to be breaking out the Stillwater magic. And if you wanted to up your game this year, this is your best chance right now. You can check in there or send me an email, like I said, dave at wetflyswing.com. And as we roll out of here, I just want to thank you for taking the time today to check out the Traveled Podcast. And I appreciate you for your support and all the listens here. And I hope you have a chance to experience that road less traveled.